I still try to make Senegalese food. I made their national dish, dish which is called chebujen, like probably three weeks ago. Hmm. So good. It's called it's fish and rice. Okay. Chebu cheb is rice and jen is fish, and they also use Scotch bonnets, which are pretty Ooh, spicy. Yeah. When I was there, I. <laughs> I didn't know that you were supposed to just like push down on it with a spoon to release the the like chili juice and flavors. Yeah, I thought you're supposed to literally eat the whole thing. So I <laughs> did you eat the scotch bonnet? I, did. I ate the scotch oh, bonnet no. many times. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, until I finally saw someone just like press down on their spoon to eat it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> Won't you come along with me? Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Wendy as the guest. Wendy was actually referred to me by my good friend, Sho, who was also the guest on episode 71, the very first episode that I put out this year. So thank you, Sho, for, well, as always, for being a friend and also for putting me in touch with Wendy. So Wendy is currently a PhD student who's very passionate about educational equity and is especially interested in how education and access to education intersect with gender and public health. And she credits studying abroad as a major factor in setting her on the path that she's currently on. Back in undergrad, Wendy was already interested in international relations and human rights and languages and so she found a way to study abroad in six different countries. (laughs) She didn't initially set out to study in half a dozen countries. It just worked out that way as she went along. Uh, But in order, she did programs in Spain, then Senegal, where she also stayed with a host family and did an internship then France, and then Singapore, which included a couple weeks in Malaysia, and then the last program she did was in Thailand, where she also did an internship there. So I ended up having the most questions about Senegal and Singapore, but we touched on all of Wendy's study abroad experiences. She did a really good job of summarizing each one and uh, explaining how they each influenced her and really had a a huge impact on her in terms of her gaining cultural knowledge and a greater understanding of herself and also broader awareness of various social issues and what she wants to do going forward to help make things better. She's a really sweet person with a strong sense of purpose, and I really had a great time 
speaking with her, and I hope you appreciate hearing what she has to say. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Wendy Chong. I want to say thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the show. I really appreciate it. And I also, um, I'm glad that show put me in touch with you. Um, I was really looking forward to getting to talk to you. So this is great. Um, yeah, me too. I love show. Yeah. Really good people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So why don't we go ahead and get started with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. Um, so hi, my name is Wendy, uh, Wendy Chung. I guess I can sort of talk about where I went to school and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So I went to UC Berkeley for undergraduate. I studied peace and conflict studies, <laughs> which I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's sort of like a mixture of international relations, human rights, um, conflict resolution. Hmm. Yeah, and I doubled in, uh, double majored in French. So it's my study abroad story is a little unique because I was fortunate enough to participate in five programs. Um, oh, wow. I know. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm really lucky. And that spanned about six countries. Um, do you want me to sort of go into each of those programs or would it be better to focus on one? Um, honestly, I, I was going to leave it up to you because, you know, my main question was like, how did you manage it all? And uh-huh. of course, you, I mean, I would love to hear about them all, but wherever you would like to start is fine with me. <laughs> okay, sure. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so I think in high school, I... I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to major in. You know, when you apply, they give you a little drag down list. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing peace and conflict studies. And I was like, that sounds really interesting. Um, I ended up applying as a French major because a lot of my high school experiences, like we had a really strong French program. Like my French teacher in high school, I still keep in in contact with now. Mm -hmm. And she's honestly an amazing person and she really just loved French. So everyone who studied with her, uh, I think got the, fell a little bit in love with learning language alongside Mm. her. Yeah. So I went into Berkeley studying French and I knew I also just kind of wanted to learn more about what is this idea of peace, (laughs) peace and conflict studies. I knew that I grew up with a lot of conflict. So I grew up in a household where there was like a lot of violence. So Mm. I'm sorry. So I, yeah, I mean, it's part of life, you know? Um, Yeah. And I just knew that that's something that I wanted to learn more about. So I was just kind of thrown into this world of like international relations. I have no idea what this is, but (laughs) you know, let's learn about it. Uh, So a lot of all the programs that I participated in were related to peace and conflict studies in French in different ways. Um, That's how I sort of chose where I wanted to go and what I wanted to study. But I think a large part of how I ended up studying abroad uh, was largely 
due to my godfather, um, which is actually kind of like a wild story. So my godfather <laughs> is actually my sister's high school algebra teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so she, yeah, it's so random. Um, but he, I've known him basically my entire life. Uh, he was a family friend before I was even born. And it was his kids that studied abroad and had a really amazing time. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to have the same opportunities as they did. So when I was in high school, he started a little study abroad fund for me, like every birthday and Christmas, Mm. holidays, like Chinese New Year, that kind of thing. He would put money in that account. It wasn't very much. It it was like maybe close to like $1,000 by the time I was ready to study abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, But because he like introduced that to me at a young younger age in high school or middle school or something like that uh it was like already on my brain by the time I started college yeah um yeah so I kind of accredit my ability to study abroad and do as many programs as I did to him because he was like he just exposed me to it and told me hey here's a little bit of money to help you get started and then that meant that when I was a freshman I like had already planned, okay, my junior year, I'm going to spend the entire year abroad. And I started to think about which programs would help with fulfilling different major requirements. And because I'm a Virgo, I love to plan. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like one of those people who will look at a course schedule and like love reading the descriptions, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so I just really love to plan. Um, when it came to financial, like, I was at the study abroad office probably, like, I don't know, at least every other week um, trying to figure out how we were going to be able to afford this. And fortunately, I had already talked to several financial aid office people. And mm-hmm. I I think I, I got a Gilman scholarship for oh, when yeah. I studied abroad in Senegal. Yeah. And then there were other um, scholarships and grants that came along with, you know, like Pell Grant and all the grants that I got to study in general to be a college student applied to whatever program I wanted to study. So it ended up being financially feasible, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. I just I think it's so great that you had people like your your French teacher and your your godfather Mm -hmm. who like like you were saying how your your French teacher's passion for French kind of just was like infectious and it poured over to his students and that really got you, you know, engaged with that and looking, kind of pushing you in that direction to wanting to go abroad. And then, and then with your, um, your godfather, I, I've heard of like college funds. I don't think I've <laughs> ever heard of someone setting aside specifically a study abroad fund in that way, you know, like people might do that for yeah. themselves, but like here, I'm specifically setting aside a study abroad fund for you. Like it sounds like your, your godfather was way ahead of the curve. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was really amazing. Um, I think a, a lot about him and sort of that legacy that he passed along. Cause I don't think he studied abroad when he was in college, but I just appreciate that he saw what his kids had, like, access to mm-hmm. and, you know, passed that along to me. He passed away 
about like four or five years ago. Oh, but man. I hope sorry. I know it's it's really sad, but you know, I really hope to sort of honor him and you know, my one of my big goal ideas that I want to work towards is one day having a study abroad fund mm. within whatever university and just like sort of honor him through that because I really want to like pass that along to to other folks and especially you know, students that are marginalized and don't really have access to this. Because I definitely, I don't think I ever would have studied abroad if it weren't for him. Yeah. Like, nobody in my family has ever studied abroad. I was the first one, even, like, among my extended family. And I have, like, 40 cousins. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, I think, especially with my parents and they both stopped going to school when they're young. Like my mom stopped going to school when she was 15 and my dad stopped going to school when he was 10. So, you know, that was like never really on my radar to study Mm -hmm. abroad. Um, But, you know, life really changed because of my godfather, but also, also because I really love to plan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I hope you do get to start that study abroad fund. Um, you know, it's funny. I just like a, a quick little, uh, what's the word digression, but, um, mm-hmm. I actually wanted, I thought I wanted to start a study abroad fund too, but then it was like, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And I don't have tons of money to be given away to people. So then <laughs> I kind of shelved that idea and then I ended up starting this podcast (laughs) (laughs) but originally I was thinking you know that same idea how can I pay it forward I I should start a a study abroad fund and now I've got a study abroad podcast instead um I'm sure (laughs) that's amazing though I I guess I don't have money yet either so it's like way far down the line (laughs) Yeah, yeah but I love that you have this podcast oh thank you it's really amazing (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, you know, you said you like to plan. You had people in your life who inspired you and, and supported you toward this goal of going abroad. So once you were able to, like, plan things out, where did you go first? Where was the first place that you studied abroad in? Okay, so initially I – see. so here's the thing about planning, right? Like <laughs> – I, I have all these, like, lofty goals, um, right. and I keep them, like, on the forefront. But, you know, things change, and things happen all around the world where barriers are presented. You just got to kind of flow with it. Um, but I had initially planned to study abroad in Kenya over the, sum- the summer before my junior year. Hmm. Um, because there was a specific, I think, conflict resolution class that I really wanted to take, and it would fulfill my... Uh, major requirements and so I planned for that by taking a year of Swahili and I got like pretty conversationally fluent and I loved the class I loved my professors and I was like yes I'm so ready to go to Kenya Mm -hmm. but unfortunately that program was canceled because it was violence in the area or something like that Uh, so I didn't get to go and instead I I had planned for I think to do this program in Barcelona the summer after. So I just kind of moved that forward instead. So I did a program in Barcelona 
that was actually a Berkeley study abroad program. So a Berkeley professor taught it mm. and he, he invited other lecturers to come in and talk. Um, it was a class called International Migration in the Ethnic Studies Department. Mm, okay. So, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, it was mostly Berkeley students that were in that program. We, we got really close, actually, the, the girls that were in my dorm room. We called ourselves the Cheetah Girls. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, because they went to Barcelona, didn't they? Yeah. I forgot all about yeah. that. <laughs> I know. We were so obnoxious. <laughs> I feel like everyone else probably hated us. <laughs> <laughs> because we got real close, and we, I, I think, had too much fun in Barcelona. Mm. <laughs> Uh, but it was honestly such a blast. Um, you know, it's a coastal city and just being, and like, honestly, the nightlife there is pretty amazing. So we spent a lot of time, um, you know, doing things that you probably shouldn't be doing at 20, but it's fine. (laughs) I'm still here. (laughs) Right. You are Uh, still here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was Barcelona. Um, Mm. Then from there, I studied abroad in Senegal in West Africa. That was a program through CIEE, if you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, That was with students from all over the country, all over the U.S. And yeah, I had a host family in that program, which was really amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I still miss them a lot, and I think about them a lot. Are those I still the, talk to the, some of the cousins. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Are those the people that were in some of the photos you sent me? I only got to peek at them, so I don't. I didn't, like, look really deeply oh, yeah. at them. Was that your whole family? I think that, that was actually... So one of them is... Oh, one of them was my friend Dedo, who I think went to Wellness, Wellesley? Yeah, Um, she is... She was not part of my host family. Oh, yes. But okay, I did love her back. dearly. <laughs> no. um, I actually don't have that many photos with my host family, oh, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know why. We just never really thought to take photos. But um, it was kind of unique in that I lived with only my host father for a while uh, because I guess my host mom was away, um, I think, helping her daughter give birth or something like that um Hmm. so for the first two months it was just me and my host father and I had a host brother too but he was like kind of in and out anyways we got really close um and we had I don't know like I feel like in a lot of ways he reminded me of my own dad and we had like sort of a soul vibe (laughs) Hmm. yeah that's nice I know it's very nice I really, really, yeah, I miss him, actually. I think that's the thing about studying abroad in, in places that are not very easily, you know, it's not that easy to go to Senegal, like, for the weekend, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or even for a week or two. Um, yeah, it's just a lot more planning involved. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, anyway, so... And do you remember what the... Um... Mm-hmm. And Senegal, do you remember what that... You said it was through CIEE. Do you remember if mm-hmm. there was like a theme or focus for that program? Oh, yes. It was development studies. Okay. So pretty much all of the classes that I took for my Senegal program went towards my major requirements. Mm. So, okay. yeah, that really fit really well. 
Yeah, and then um, after Senegal, I did a another semester, the spring semester in Paris, in France, at Sciences Po. Mm. Uh, similar situation, a lot of the classes counted towards my major requirements, so I fit really well. And I honestly, so because our French program was so good um, in high school, I hosted French students almost every year. So I like oh. accumulated all of these French friends yeah. um, by the time I graduated high school. So they would, and you know, when you host folks, they always, you know, say, you should come and visit me. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I think I will. So my <laughs> senior year, <laughs> I raised the money to um, get my plane ticket and was able to go and visit all of my French friends that I hosted. Um, and then they like kind of hosted me in return. And I got to see what like French country life was all about. Yeah. Yeah. So That's it was definitely so nice. very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, when I went to France for the first time, I, my friend and I were like, okay, we're only going to spend three days in Paris, and then we're going to spend like five weeks visiting our friends. And those three days in Paris were not enough. I ended up loving Paris. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I thought we would kind of hate it um, and think that it was like overrated. Uh-huh. But Many you know, I was just feeling myself, <laughs> right? <laughs> But I actually ended up loving it. I thought it was beautiful. And so, yeah, that's why I decided to do a semester in um, Paris. Because I was like, there's so much more to see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And that program was a political science program. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, Sion's pool. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that, wait. So, was there another one after that? Or I I lost count already. Three. So, it's... (laughs) Oh, no, because yes. the, wait, there's more than one. Yeah, I'll just let you yeah. talk because you know you know what all you did. So please continue. <laughs> I was just trying to keep okay. track in my head of where we were and uh, the number of programs you've done. Um, but yes, please <laughs> <Wait>. continue. <laughs> it's definitely complicated. Uh, yeah, so I think in the middle of my junior year, I was like, hmm, how can I extend this? <laughs> Or how can I actually do more? And I think it was interesting because in Senegal, I was often the only Asian person for, like, miles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There was one other Asian person in my program. And so I kind of, like, became more aware of myself or, like, aware of stares or maybe even felt a little more self-conscious when I was living in Senegal. And I realized that I had never really had a lot of opportunities to be in Asia or um, sort of be more in touch with Asian culture. Yeah, I I realized that, like, I had been to Europe and I had been to West Africa, but I haven't ever been to – but spent, like, considerable amount of time in in Asia. So I basically asked uh, one of the advisors if there would be any – possibility to further study so uh I knew that I could do a summer but I wasn't sure if I could do a fifth year but 
I ended up working at the study abroad office my senior year because huh. I, I had so much knowledge of all these random programs. Right. <laughs> um, so I was like, I would, I think I would be great as a peer advisor. So I became a peer advisor and then I figured out that I could do a summer and a fall and that my fan- financial aid would extend past my fourth year. Huh. So I saved one general education requirement. (laughs) And I did that over the summer uh, after my senior year or my fourth year. It was like a biology requirement or something like that. Um, So I did a program called, I'm blinking, it's biodiversity studies. Yeah. Which was like totally out of the field for me. (laughs) I tried to stay as far away from STEM in undergrad as possible. (laughs) Same. Um, But yes, right? (laughs) It's like, I do not want to be all mixed up with you pre-med folks, with your toxic competition. And (laughs) anyway, so... For the summer, I did a biodiversity class, and everyone there was such a nerd about, like, (laughs) animals and insects and everything. I was out of my element. Um, But the whole (laughs) – it was a ride. Um, Yeah, everyone – you know, they they were so – I guess it's similar to how I feel about, like, international relations and stuff like that, human rights. Um, You know, they were so in their element. They – we split up into groups. So there was, like, a mammals group. Um, I was in the group that got to snorkel. So uh, I forget – oh, I was in the marine group. I chose that one really just because I wanted to go in the ocean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that program I learned to do like biological science research and we like developed our own study and then we did a field study in Malaysia. So it was a program through National University of Singapore, NUS, but we spent about a week and a half in Malaysia on this island. Um, it was amazing <laughs> and beautiful. And I got, well, I snorkeled for like six hours a day. Mm. It was a lot. But, you know, and now I know how to identify rabbit fish. So that's cool. Yeah. So that's, oh, that's um, cool. one of the pictures that I sent you. Yes. Me and my marine team. They all went on to actually study like marine biology. <laughs> <laughs> and you were the yeah. outlier. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And I was probably that jerk that was like, I don't understand how to do this. Can y'all just pass me, please? (laughs) Um, But they were very nice to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I also, I knew that I wanted to go to Southeast Asia and not East Asia. So I think after that, I studied abroad in Thailand. Um, so I studied abroad in Bangkok and that was my fall semester. And then after that, there was no more financial aid. So I was done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What, what, what did you do in, um, in Bangkok? I studied Thai studies. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was kind of, honestly, I was only doing it. I, my entire fifth year was really just me trying to stretch out my financial aid yeah. to let me study abroad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to finesse the system. Um, so I didn't really actually need any of my courses for Thailand, um, but I still studied things that were interesting to me and related to 
international relations. I think I took a, oh, I took a Southeast, no, I took a Thai politics class. Um, and that professor I still talk to, she actually wrote my graduate school, graduate school recommendation, Mm. which was really amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm continuously inspired by her. Um, and then I took like a Thai society and culture class and a Thai architecture class. So, oh, an Thai religion class. So it was a lot of Thai culture things, yeah. but um, still really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Okay, all right. So I'm gonna see if I can get this right. Okay, so <laughs> so you went first. It was the summer in Barcelona, studying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Was it migration and like yeah, ethnic it, studies? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it was a semester in, in Senegal. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm only laughing because I'm trying to, uh, I think I remember, but maybe I don't. Um, semester yeah. in Senegal studying, um, development studies and you were, th- were with the host family there. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it was a semester in Paris at Sciences Po doing, mm-hmm. um, political science. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, <laughs> oh no, wait, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. It was a summer uh-huh. in, you literally just said it, Singapore. You were doing biodiversity in Singapore, but also a little bit in Malaysia. And then you had a fall semester in Thailand, in Bangkok, more specifically doing Thai studies and whatnot. Yeah. Did I get that? Is that everything? <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> I I mean, it's hard for me to get straight, so I'm thoroughly impressed. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I did my best. <laughs> I, tr- I only try my best. So, um, okay. Wow. All right. Thank you for um, giving, like, a, a brief synopsis of all those. Um, mm-hmm. That's amazing you were able to do all that. So, like... You went into college knowing you were going to study abroad, but mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily plan to do all the programs you did. You just kind of were trying to see how much you could do as you went along. Is that Does that yeah. sound accurate? Yeah. I mean, I planned for my junior year for sure, mm-hmm. um, but I would say my fifth year wasn't really planned until, like, maybe the end of my second year and beginning of my third year. So mm-hmm. that was just kind of like a, I feel disappointed that I can't go to Kenya. So what can I do now? <laughs> 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 you know, it's like, I took a whole year of Swahili for this. Um, they never brought back the program, but mm-hmm. I was like, okay, here's an opportunity to really get to know Asia. So yeah, I would say it's a mixture of heavily planning and a mixture of, just kind of going with the flow and trying to figure out what's the most I can do or like how can I take advantage of this opportunity that I have to you know like one study at UC Berkeley like something my parents never really had the opportunity to do Mm -hmm. so I, I think that's like kind of the narrative around a lot of my education my educational journey is just knowing that like my parents didn't have access to this and I should just take full advantage of, you know, all that they sacrificed so that I could be here. Yeah. So that's also why I um, decided to pursue a PhD. It's just like, you know, oh, wow. got to gotta do it for 
for the fam. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm so impressed. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've been all around the world and, and then you're now you're about to be a doctor. Or have you already done that? Has that already been completed? I just started, so okay. I'm in the towards the end of my first year. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, congrats to you anyway on, on getting started on that path. That's phenomenal. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. That. You're very welcome. If I may just backtrack, there are some places mm-hmm. you went to that I, like, don't really know much about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured I might ask you about some of them. So you when you were in Senegal, you were in... Was it Dakar? Is that where you were? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, in Dakar. So what is Dakar like from your memory of it? I know that's, isn't that like the, wait, is that the biggest city in Senegal? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's uh, the capital right okay. now. The previous capital is, is uh, Saint-Louis, St. Louis, which okay. is kind of the northern, another um, port city. Honestly, Senegal was my favorite program um one because of my host family like I said I was really close with my host father and I think I was able to really get to know Senegalese culture really well um Mm. because of the host family aspect and also because of my internship so I interned at a an organization called it's a women's rights organization actually there's this really cool photo of obama meeting the the president of the nonprofit in the lounge whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and yeah it's a pretty prominent um nonprofit in in senegal and it was there that i really got a closer understanding of what i wanted to do even now or like what i wanted to do with my career huh. um yeah, that internship was really amazing. Some of it was, you know, just translating English to French or French to English. But a lot of it, I got to shadow my supervisor. Um, and they do a lot of amazing work. So, like, domestic violence advocacy, they would um, see see women who were experiencing violence in their household. And please let me know if, like any of this is uncomfortable to talk about. Oh, um, no, I'm, I'm just listening. So, you know, whatever <laughs> you feel like sharing, you know, it's, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just want to <laughs> give a little disclaimer. sort of trigger. Yeah, disclaimer yeah. that, yeah, women's rights stuff is, is hard. Yeah. Um, in that internship, I got to shadow her and hear her speak with women and um, tell them what their options were or, like, sh- you know, discuss what they could do and really just empower women to understand um, how to navigate what they're facing um, and empower them to make their own decisions. Mm. Uh, I also got to go to these conferences and meetings. I was fortunate that my, my French was really good. So I could understand everything that was going on, but there were conferences with pretty important people like ministers of health Mm. and um yeah lots of important people in the room and I'm sure they were all like who is this Chinese girl like (laughs) who's this Asian girl in the corner (laughs) uh but yeah they allowed me to be in the room because of my my supervisors my mentors and um I got to learn about how 
those types of meetings were conducted and like what our organization was or what the organization was advocating for. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was honestly amazing. I also got to go to a youth conference where the organization was training Senegalese youth. And I think that's defined as like 16 to 25 or something like that um, to combat early marriage in the north. Yeah. The northern parts of Senegal. So I think I think early marriage was not extremely prevalent in Senegal. I think the number was like 25 percent. Whereas, like, in other parts of the world, it is more. But, yeah, I it, from that youth conference, I saw the power of, of youth, of women, of um, just really awesome activists. It, I think it was my first real exposure to activism. Huh. I mean, beyond, you know, things that you do in high school or, you know, volunteering and things like that. Um, I think it really opened my eyes to different women's rights issues as well, like female genital mutilation and Mm. things like that, you know, things I just never knew about, but got to learn from folks. And that really, I think that changed the trajectory of my life. (laughs) Wow. Being exposed to different forms of activism, like you said, but like, for witnessing people who are, you know, actually, what do they say? Like on the ground doing mm-hmm. that type of work every day. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, um, <laughs> you, you mentioned that in, in Senegal, that was where you became more aware of your Asianness. Did you not have that same experience in Barcelona? Did you, maybe you didn't stand out as much in, in Barcelona? Yeah. I think because I was in a group of other, you know, even Berkeley students mm-hmm. kind of helped me. And I was in my, remember, in the Cheetah Girls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, four out of six of us were Latinx. So my friends were, they all spoke Spanish. So mm-hmm. they were able to, you know, they tricked me a few times. Um, but they helped me with my Spanish. And also they did most of the talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... I felt like I didn't stand out as much. Um, Also, the other girl in our group was Asian. So it's kind of nicer when, if they're looking at you, they're looking at both of you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just having a buddy. But yeah, I think because Barcelona is also, they're used to more tourists, I didn't get as many stares. I see. But in Senegal, and especially in Wakam, which is the neighborhood I was in, I definitely felt it a lot more. Um, yeah, because I, I wouldn't see another Asian person most of the time in my neighborhood. Um, mm. I wonder if it also just has to do with race and familiarity. So I'm from Southern California. Mm-hmm. And I think the neighborhood that I grew up in was predominantly Latinx. So being in Spain with other Latinx folks was pretty familiar to me. Mm. Whereas in Senegal, it was really, you know, drastically different from how I grew up. So I think maybe that kind of brought forward the alienation a little more or brought forward like the sense of feeling like I stood out more, if Mm. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. And so 
I mean, it doesn't sound like it, but mm-hmm. but uh, did that become a source of like discomfort or hindrance for you and just like navigating your day to day in Senegal or, or did you just brush it off and kind of just <laughs> not focus on it? I don't know how you how you handled that. I don't think it really presented too much of a barrier for me because I processed it with um, my friends a lot um, while I was there. And I also realized that most of the students in my program had a similar feeling, whether you're white or black or Latinx, um, because even the black students in my program would talk about contextually how black blackness is perceived differently when in Senegal I guess like hearing them share and like being asked to also reflect upon how I'm feeling that was a really important part of the the program because I think if I didn't talk about it then it would have been a lot harder to grapple with or like begin to sort of process and understand my experience I do think like at at times though um part of my like younger self felt the need to overcompensate when I was in Senegal hmm. for like my Asianness. I think that was definitely a thing. Yeah, I think I don't know. That's actually probably part of my growing up in general. Um just like this need to kind of go against the stereotype and things like that. Oh, I um, see. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I like didn't want to be seen as, like, the nerdy Asian or, you know, whatever. All the stereotypes that come along with being Asian. Mm-hmm. I do think I I did a little bit of that in Senegal and probably in Barcelona and Paris, too. But I think throughout the study abroad journey, I became more and more comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. It There were definitely, like, adjustments throughout the entire junior year, especially, um... And the different perceptions of myself throughout those countries. I think in in France, I was really frustrated that nobody would speak to me in French. Whereas, oh no, <laughs> you know, they would kind of see me and just assume that I was Chinese, or assume that I was Asian and didn't speak French. So nobody would speak to me in French. Mm. Um, yeah, that was bothersome in the beginning, very annoying to me and frustrating because I was like. This is literally my major. <laughs> and in in Senegal, uh, most people would speak to me French and and also in Wolof. Mm, so yeah. it was it was weird to go from a place that and also I think there's a lot of um there's a large narrative of like colonialism and imperialism right. that is attached to French and in yeah. Senegal. But um yeah, I, I was definitely a little frustrated in France. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like when I also realized like my Asianness is really um at the forefront of how people perceive me. Mm-hmm. So in some ways it pushed me to want to discover that more. If it's already attached to me, I might as well know it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, so Maybe this isn't pertinent to anything, but like since you said they they wouldn't speak to you in French, so will they not speak to you at all, or will they just speak to you in English <laughs> when they first encountered you in 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 Paris? Yeah, they would speak to me in English. Um, I think because English is kind of like the standard language for 
most folks traveling into Europe. I, I think it was a similar experience for some of my Latinx friends who were studying abroad in in Paris. They would say that people would assume that they speak English, which, yeah, mm. kind of makes sense. It's kind of like the universal language, I feel, which is also very colonial. Yes. Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a shame. Man, yeah, that's interesting how you, like you said, you kind of got more more attraction speaking French with people in Senegal versus in, in France. Yeah. And in Senegal, there was a huge movement to decenter French and not make it a an official language and mm. advocate for more uh, Wolof being spoken, which is, I thought was really awesome to see. And I think it's like an ongoing advocacy work. Oh, that's cool. I, I, I did not know that, but it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. people, various people around the world trying to find ways to decolonize themselves or, you know, mm-hmm. throw off that colon- colonial legacy for something that feels more authentic. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was another question I had about Sen- uh, Senegal. You mentioned how being in Senegal, you felt like you got a good grasp of Senegalese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that sticks out to you from a cultural aspect that you learned or got accustomed to during that time? Yeah. And I thought more about this when I moved to Louisiana a few years after after undergrad. Um, but there's this idea of taranga, T-A-R-A-N-G-A. Mm. It's, it's a word that means welcoming or hospitality. Uh, and it's something that I think is very much ingrained in into Senegalese culture and like ways of being and how folks interact with one another. But they're super, super nice and welcoming people. Um, yeah, and I think this idea of taranga, you can see it in how people share food or how people eat together. Um, it speaks to how... Senegalese folks really take care of one another. Hmm. And I think also I saw how a lot of the community issues were dealt with as a community. And I think that is something that I learned from Senegal um, in that, for example, my one of my best friends, Dedo, that I mentioned, um, mm-hmm. her house was broken into and... Mm. Dang. Sorry, this is kind of like a, a weird example, but I'm just going to keep going with it. Okay, um, sure. <laughs> but her house was broken into, and the one of the um, neighbors saw the person who broke into the house. And as a community, there were like, I was there um, right after it happened. I was like walking around with her. And when we showed up to her house, there were like 30 people there. And they were all discussing like, okay, how will this person um, be punished or like learn their lesson? And how will we prevent this from happening in the future? And it was like a really community led um, conflict resolution in that they, they really discussed everything as a group. And I think that is one of an example of the the huge community and like strong community in in Senegal. Um, yeah, 
something that I still think about today. And, you know, when we talk about abolition and police reform abolition mm-hmm. um, today, I think a lot about how, you know, we haven't always had police and violent police. And there are ways that we can actually help each other and support each other as a community mm. um, to resolve these issues without violence, to resolve, you know, like really come together. Um, mm. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, there's, this is a, again, a, a digression, but um, yeah. there's this, <laughs> there's this show I listen to. I don't know if you know the singer Jill Scott. Um, mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell at all? I it's, think so. It's okay if it doesn't. Um, but she's been around for like 20 some years, the neo soul and R&B singer. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. But she has this podcast and they talk a lot about with, with her friends and a lot of times they'll talk about black issues and especially issues like um, black men not sticking up for black women or black women being harmed but not having any recourse because people don't really show up for people like that anymore. And Jill Scott is always like, we need a tribunal. We need a yes. tribunal to solve these <laughs> issues. So as you were describing that. <laughs> that, that's what I thought of. Like, oh, that's the tribunal that Jill Scott's always talking about. <laughs> that black yeah, people need. Yeah. <laughs> I truly just really enjoy that it's informal but formal. You know what I mean? Like, within 10 minutes, you know, all these people were gathered together. And, you know, everyone was just, like, so solutions-oriented. Knew what each other needed. Um, offering things. You know, like... It's honestly so beautiful to see, and it's how more of our world should be run, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's, that's amazing that you got to witness that. And a different example of how things are done and how things can be done differently here. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had questions about Singapore. I don't know if I've had someone on to talk about Singapore before. I don't know. Anyway, um... I know this is probably a really basic question, and I know the answer is probably <laughs> no, but if you have seen Crazy Rich Asians, oh is Singapore anything like that? I know it's very much like a, they made it's it look so all funny. wonderful, almost like a tourism ad for Singapore, so they made it look all <laughs> fantastic, which I'm sure it is, but I mean, is, <laughs> is, is any of that true to life in your experience? Maybe not like the rich stuff, but just the way Singapore was portrayed, how it looks and everything, you know. That's so funny. Is it any true to that? I know it's really basic. I'm sorry. I got you. I got you. I'm here for the basic question. <laughs> no, I don't really actually think it's basic. I think it's a good question um, because I'm like not even lying. A lot of my friends after that sh- um, movie came out, they're like, is this really what Asia's like? And I'm like, <laughs> Singapore is one of the freaking richest countries right. in the world. <laughs> like, this is not what most of Asia is like. But um, I do think that Singapore is... I think there are elements of it that were definitely true. I think because I was a student there, I never really saw Singapore through those lights, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they exist. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's really interesting. Um, Singapore is a weird place. One, politically, it's very interesting, um, but also it, there's a weird dichotomy, right? So it's one of the richest countries in the world. But at the same time, like, their food and other things are not very costly. So, 
I think a meal is typically on average like three dollars, right? Um, it's more than some other Southeast Asian countries. Um, like the same meal will cost one dollar in Malaysia versus three. Hmm. Um, so it's like, yes, there's a lot of wealth and prosperity and like things like that there. I just never really saw it. I was eating the $3 meals, not the $20 ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the the hotels, the um, the Marina Bay Sands is actually that beautiful. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. I, I never really saw like the really beautiful houses or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I would say for the most part, it's it's pretty ordinary quote unquote um i would compare it to maybe hong kong Hmm. which is where my dad's side of the family is from oh um yeah but i would say hmm, i'm like can i get in trouble for saying this (laughs) but um it can't be that bad i'm sure it's not that bad (laughs) whatever it is it's it's weird because like Race is really weird in Singapore. Oh. Um, I don't know how much you know about it, but essentially what they try to do in Singapore is match racial demographics to neighborhoods. Oh, so if wow. you say, like, these are made up numbers, but if you say, like, there's 30% of Singapore is Malay and 20 per- I don't know, 30% is Chinese and 30% is south asian indian or sri lankan um they would try and create their neighborhoods and a lot spots to the percentage of the population so they they're like trying to make things quote unquote equal in terms of race i feel like there's still in general a lot of racial inequity in terms of like the malay folks are generally um not as wealthy as the Chinese folks, for example. Mm. And yeah, there's still like a lot of racial tension, I think, that exists, but they try and make things look really equal. Yeah. <laughs> and if you ask anyone, I, I'm serious. Like I had two friends and I saw them outside of our class. Um, one of them was Chinese Singaporean and the other one was Malay Singaporean and both of them like heavily denied that there is any sort of like racism or racial inequity Hmm. and I was just like but this doesn't really it doesn't make sense to me because this is what I see right Um, a lot of the Malay schools are underfunded and then a lot of the Chinese schools are not underfunded you know so there's definitely there's something there, but everyone, like, even my Malay friends will deny it. Uh-huh. So it's like, I cannot prove it through, <laughs> through like, evidence from Singaporeans. Yeah. Um, but I think there's an element there, and it's kind of, like, I think kind of, like, colorblind. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. So, like, there's definitely some social stratification there. I- is mm-hmm. it... Maybe I was hearing it wrong when you were explaining it, but is it segregated? Like, different ethnic groups live in different parts of Singapore? Is that what you were saying? No, I mean, so they really, um, they create communities and neighborhoods. So in a neighborhood and it with even within a building, 
they will um, allocate 30% so that there isn't over-representation. Uh, so it's proportional group. to, like, yeah. the overall, like, percentage of that ethnicity within the general population. They'll try right. to make it proportional within those communities and those buildings. Okay, okay. Huh. Right. So that they can say that there isn't any racism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so they have, like, quotas then? Is mm-hmm. that what they aim for? Huh. Okay. But then problems still persist, like you were saying. Exactly. Yeah. So there's still inequalities and like that. Okay. No, I didn't I didn't know about all that. I, I figured there would probably be some some like colorism at play, because I know that is a thing in a lot of various Asian countries. Uh mm-hmm. not to bring sing uh Chris Rotations up again, but I remember that was one criticism of how like everybody was light skinned and I think there mm. might have been two dark skinned Indian characters, but they look like they were like these really big burly guards that were meant to look scary and I don't even think they talked. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I figured that would be at play, but okay. Yeah, I I, I don't know the specificities specificities of like Different groups that might be privileged over over others, you know. Um, yeah. That's really eye-opening to hear you describe that, huh? Okay. And, and is it... Um, man, this is really based on, like, the very scant details that I've heard about Singapore in the past. <laughs> but is it is it Singapore where it's, like, really conservative or the rules are really strict for, like, public behavior... Uh-huh. Or things like that? Yeah. Like, it's a weird place. <laughs> 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 so I think there are pros and cons to all of that. So mm-hmm. there's they're really into, like, order and things being efficient. Mm-hmm. So when you take the train or the subway um, or public transportation, it's always on time. There's always, like, plenty of room and frequency. And so... Things are just, like, well-funded there and really efficient. Hmm. Um, There's, like, people actually line up to get into the train, you know? (laughs) Uh, So they don't, like, overcrowd things. They go, like, okay, you just wait your turn because the next one will come in, like, two minutes, you know? Uh So I think that part of it is really cool. But on the other hand, yeah, chewing gum is is illegal and like and i think this should be well okay actually never mind um public urination oh (laughs) yeah you know what i mean that's a very complicated issue in in the states but um there are actually public restrooms in singapore so i feel like it's it's less of an issue there Mm. um but anyways things like that are more heavily i guess enforced laws Mm. are heavily enforced for sure all right. You said chewing gum is illegal? Like, I th- yeah, I think it still is. I'm not sure if they like. Like, just randomly not. chewing gum in public or. <laughs> yeah. Is littering also. Why am I thinking litter- littering is illegal? Is that legal? Oh, littering would definitely be illegal. Okay. <laughs> okay. I guess that's some- another random something I heard about Singapore. Okay. Yeah. I guess you have to pay attention to how you conduct yourself when you're mm-hmm. out and about. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there, there are ways of, um, I guess for lack of a better word, like discipline are definitely different. Uh, and I think actually caning is legal there. 
Oh my goodness. I'm, yeah, it's a weird, weird, weird. Yeah, I mean, um, I really shouldn't talk. I mean, being here. <laughs> yeah. Here in the States, I guess I really shouldn't talk about cruel methods of punishment, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I it's mean, it's a weird world. Did you feel like you had to adjust to those ex? I mean, you also kind of like in the water a lot doing your whole bi- biodiversity thing. So maybe you didn't have to worry as much about like the rules of, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you were, mm-hmm. you, you were kind of preoccupied with the project and the studies you were working on. But I mean, did you feel like you had to like adjust yourself a lot? To feel like you weren't doing anything wrong or <laughs> to keep yourself from getting in trouble? Actually, no. And that's probably just part of my privilege. Um, you know, like, I mean, also, I wasn't really trying to, like, graffiti anything mm-hmm. or, you know, um, that's not one of my hobbies. And I don't really enjoy urinating in public. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, unless I'm really <laughs> drunk and it's like a requirement at that point. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. A lot of the things that I would have been fined for or um, punished for, I didn't want to do anyways. I don't like littering. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I had to change too yeah. much. Mm. okay that's good yeah so i didn't mean to delve into really dark territory talking about the (laughs) strict rules and everything and the punishment in singapore it's just literally so few things i have to grab from in terms of things i know or have heard about singapore so thank you for enlightening me about those things (laughs) Um, i mean no worries that's why i was like i don't know if i'm allowed to say this are they gonna like come after me (laughs) (laughs) I think you'll be okay. Um, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, because you were, you were talking about wanting to go to Asia, and you were in Singapore, Malaysia, and then you also went to Thailand. Well, you wanted to spend time in Asia, but you also specifically wanted to be in Southeast Asia. I don't know if you were if there was anything you were seeking a, a, to get out of that from a personal standpoint in terms of, like, being more exposed to Asia than you had been before. Um, if you, if you were, do you feel like you got what you were seeking or, you know, got the knowledge or enlightenment you were seeking from spending time in Asia, like, um, in a way that you hadn't been able to do before? Yeah. So I wanted to go to Asia for kind of a combination of things. Hmm. One of them was that I wanted to get to know other parts of Asia better, um, just because, I think a lot of what we talk about for Asian American activism now is about like data disaggregation. It's also about um, how most of the world just sees one type of Asian. Yeah. And I wanted to learn more about different parts of Asia so that I could sort of speak on it a little bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. and be able to talk about the diversity of our community without, you know, kind of talking out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I have, obviously, I, I do have Southeast Asian friends that I grew up with, but, and like one of my, uh, my brother-in-law is Burmese. And so my, my niece and nephew are half Burmese. Huh. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways also, because my parents are from 
rural parts of of China, my their experiences are I don't want to say similar, but they're closer to Southeast Asian in some ways than mm. than the wealthy urban counterparts of the Chinese population. I don't know if that really makes a lot of sense, but I think no, I a lot of the nar- yeah, like the narratives around um, education and um, even like imprisonment and things like that. Like I have a few uncles that spent time in prison in China within these like rural areas. And yeah, I, I think I just kind of wanted to also be um, able to blend in a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I think, yeah. be- you know, <laughs> yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I spent so much time in places where I really stood out mm-hmm. that <laughs> I wanted to study somewhere where maybe I blended in a little more where I wouldn't like, they wouldn't immediately speak English to me. Um, and I honestly just, okay, don't judge me. I love Thai food. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I think that was like really my main reason for going to Thailand. Oh, I wouldn't judge it's you like- for that. A lot of people, you know, that's a lot of people's gateway to anything that's quote unquote foreign or of an- another country and... No, yeah. some people travel to other countries just for their food. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't judge you for that. You know, <laughs> I'm glad you got to indulge one of your favorite cuisines in the actual country where it came from. You know, yeah. I feel like very few people choose their study abroad program based off of what they like to eat. That's essentially what I did. <laughs> oh, I also loved Senegalese food. Like I still try to make Senegalese food. I made their national dish, dish which is called chebujen like probably three weeks ago mm. so good mm. i, what I is still that? dream about it it's called it's fish and rice okay. chebu cheb is rice and jen is fish so it's kind of like jollof rice but with just more like fish and vegetables and meat involved okay there's like a meat version of it too nice um, okay yeah is it spicy? I don't know why I imagine it to be spicy. Maybe that's a serious. It can type. be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I made it for my brother who can't really eat spicy food right now. Okay. Um. So it, I didn't include a lot of spice, but typically there is, and they also use I think Scotch bonnets, which are pretty Ooh, spicy. Yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of they um, cook it in the stew, and then they put it the whole thing on the plate usually. And when I was there, I I didn't know that you were supposed to just like push down on it with a spoon to release the, the like chili juice and flavors. Yeah. I thought you were supposed to literally eat the whole thing. So I Did you eat the scotch bonnet? I, did, I ate the scotch oh, bonnet no. many times. <laughs> But I have a pretty high size tolerance, okay. so it's fine. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but I did that many times. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, until I finally saw someone just, like, press down on their spoon to eat it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. my, okay. That would have been enough to take a lot of people out. But like you said, you have a pretty good uh, spice tolerance. So, you know, you, yeah. were, you were okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Senegalese food is up there for you. Thai food is up there for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yes. That's awesome. So I, I, I won't ask you to like pick a favorite out of all the places you've <laughs> been to. That's probably would be really difficult. But I am curious about... Which of the place of the places you've studied abroad in, you know, which do you feel like the strongest desire to return to? And are there any places that you would not want to go back to out of the places that you've studied in? <laughs> um, I honestly would love to go back to all of the countries. I don't think there's one that I wouldn't want to. Hmm. I think mostly I would like to go back to Senegal. Um, mm. I'm not sure if I want to go there as a tourist, but then thinking about work is kind of hard because there's so many like ties to... I'm still processing um, mm-hmm. like the relationship between colonialism and development and yeah. like international aid and things like that. So I'm still coming to terms with like where... What's my positionality and like what's my relationship to all of these different systems um but i i honestly would love to go back to senegal mm. see my host family again and you know i think some of my host cousins have had kids and i would love to see them um mm. i also love thailand um I would go back for the food. (laughs) 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 And Singapore and Malaysia, too. Food is so good. You honestly have to go. Yeah. Just for the food. Yeah. That's what I've heard. (laughs) And, yeah, I I think because I did internships in both um, Thailand and in, in Senegal, I got to know how women's rights and like domestic violence looks like and like advocacy looks like in in both of those countries so mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I know it better and um that kind of makes me want to spend more time there and and continue to like foster those kind of relationships yeah yeah okay so so the internship that you did in Thailand that was like a similar vein of what you did in um Senegal in terms of like Women's rights and things like that? Yeah, I worked with an organization called Ashoka Foundation, and they are <gasps> kind. Wait, you know? no, I'm thinking of a different one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I knew There's who you were talking about. There's a lot of Ashoka. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay. There's a lot of Ashokas. <laughs> it's a very popular name. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's this nonprofit that's global, and... At the time, Ashoka in Thailand was working with other nonprofits in in Thailand. So, mm. um, the nonprofit that they were working with at that time was, I think it's called Friends of Women Foundation or something like that, or Friends of Women mm. Organization, and it was a domestic violence shelter and hotline. They they did a lot of the work around domestic violence there. And a lot of campaigns that were tangentially related to health and um, violence prevention. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned about 
and I think before that, I worked at a domestic violence shelter in in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of understanding and um, training. So when I was able to work with the Thai group, it was kind of like sharing what what we did in SF and helping them create better systems. Like they would share what they needed and then uh, we would try to create systems for them. Mm. So, yeah, I also learned a lot about like how to start a nonprofit because a lot of Ashoka's work is helping nonprofits succeed, basically. Mm. And and so I learned a lot there about nonprofit management yeah. and that was really, really cool. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned you in at UC Berkeley, you studied, you know, peace and conflict studies. You've done internships dealing with like nonprofits and especially working with like women's rights or domestic violence and everything. I'm wondering if you feel like mentioning it, what you're, what you're currently pursuing with your PhD. Um, I know also you mm-hmm. mentioned, I think in one of your emails, you mentioned, well, you said yourself how you worked at your school study abroad office and, I think you mentioned at some point one of your emails about being interested in international education. So I don't know, with all the different subjects that kind of make up your your educational background, um, mm-hmm. what are you aiming for now through your current PhD program? What what field do you do you feel like you're most interested in? Yeah, so my <laughs> my uh, PhD is actually in education studies. <laughs> So, and within education studies, what I sort of have chosen to specialize on is the intersection of gender, education, and public health. Mm. And it's it's really because of my study abroad programs that I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I was interested in gender, for sure, yeah. uh, since high school. And, you know, that's what brought me into my major and uh, the different nonprofits I wanted to work with and the internships I did in study abroad. So I knew I wanted to do gender. And then, like I shared before, like my, my parents didn't have a lot of educational opportunities. And I've seen how that has affected them even now. Mm. Um, and, you know, their social mobility and what they have access to. Um, they don't speak a lot of English as well because of the area that we grew up in or I grew up in um, where they just didn't need to learn it and they just focused on, you know, surviving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen like my parents get fired or like, you know, just get exploited and taken advantage of in their jobs because of their, their limited educational opportunities and also like their limited English access. Mm. So, Dang. you know, that just like really pushed me to make education better in this country and like in the world, you know, because there's a lot of a lot of barriers to education worldwide. And I think that's where I began to really feel passionate about like educational equity, Mm, Um, looking at how like zip code matters so much in this country and or in the state and also in the country um, in California. And when I think about racial inequity and, you know, homophobia of all the isms that we have going on. Education is one of 
the most powerful ways we can change these outcomes, we can change these isms, we can empower folks to like do whatever the heck they want to do, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and like not present all these like ridiculous and violent obstacles for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really care about gender. I really care about education. Um, it wasn't until my internship in Senegal that I was introduced to like public health things, right? Like why mm-hmm. gender issues are also public health issues, like things like early marriage, a lot of the sexual and reproductive health rights things, all of those things are like really intertwined, right? Yeah. And because I did the internship in Senegal, that set me up to do research my senior year with another organization that was working on early early marriage in Niger and Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And their solution, or like, I don't, I don't want to call it solution because that gives them a lot of power. But like their method of um, combating early marriage was through better education for girls. Hmm. And if yeah. girls were to stay in school longer and um, be able to, you know, become nurses or become doctors, become whatever they want to be, that would in turn like end early marriage or, um, you know, just empower them to have more choices. And so that's when I became exposed to research. Then I was exposed to more public health things. And um, so now what I'm studying is education, but education under like gender, gender equity, educational equity, and like public health equity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I study now. And it's just like, honestly, a direct result of study abroad and, you know, my experiences growing up. Yeah, you definitely um, delineated that very clearly how, how you know, those various influences have led you to what you're studying now. Wow, that's fantastic. I've heard uh, that doing a PhD is very hard. So I'm glad <laughs> that you are in it and you're still going along with it. You said you're closing in at the toward, um, the end of your first year. So yeah, good for you. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm I'm really glad that you're taking such a what's the word? You know, approach that looks at many facets of like education and where it intersects with other issues as well. I think that's really great. So, I hope that continues to go well for you. And in no time people will be calling you doctor and you know, <laughs> You'll be an expert. That's out such here. a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, as you mentioned with uh, educational equity and helping people get access to different opportunities, you know, as, as you said, study abroad was like an opportunity that was very much um, has shaped you a lot and was something that you were thankfully able to have access to thanks to you know, support from loved ones and also some uh, grants or scholarships you were able to uh, receive. Was there anything else specific that you wanted to mention in terms of how you ended up being able to afford studying abroad or anything specific that you did to to make that, like, not a financial burden? Um, Yeah, I mean, I did end up taking out some loans, but I mean, I needed to take out loans for school anyways, hmm. but it wasn't as much as, you know, full tuition or anything. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I think I did take out some loans and 
I think for scholarships, one thing that worked for me was looking for the smaller ones and not only the big ones. Right. Because, yeah. you know, Gilman is, is really, really good um, in that it's a significant amount of money, but you can only get it once, you know, mm-hmm. and or it can only apply towards one program. And there's a lot more scholarships out there that are usually tied to a department or within the study abroad office. Um, I'm really fortunate in that, like, the Berkeley study office had a, a considerable amount of grants and funding available, especially if you have financial need. Um, I think most students think that they can't afford to study abroad. Mm. And every situation is different. But I would say if you qualify for financial aid, then that financial aid, you know, goes towards your study abroad program, if you're within the UC system, at least. Mm. And a lot of folks don't know that. And it sucks because if if I, like, didn't already know about study abroad and didn't, like, walk in um, to the office my first few weeks of attending Cal, like, I never would have known that I could do all this, you know. And I think it's just really important to just sit down with the financial aid person um, to not only talk to the financial – well, it depends on your school, but to not only talk about – to the financial aid person from the financial aid office, but also the financial aid person at the study abroad office Mm, because they know a lot and they know about all the scholarships. They, yeah, like I think just talk to people more and more. Um, And I'm a really good fundraiser. So if folks like ever want to talk about fundraising, I can give a lot of tips on that. But yeah, I'm like a, I'm a pretty good nonprofit, like campaign fundraising person. Huh, okay. Um, yeah. So, like, individual donorship and individual fundraising is totally, totally possible too. I think the key with that is follow up. <laughs> a lot of folks, when they fundraise, they'll send one email and they don't hear back and then they get really disappointed. But I would say send as many emails as you can or like, you know, messages, Facebook messages, whatever you want, texts. And don't be discouraged by no's because you'll get some no's, but you'll also get some yeses. And if folks don't reply or if they say yes and they don't actually donate, don't like, don't take that as a they don't want to. Take it as a, oh, they didn't get a chance to yet. And so always do a follow up. Because the follow-up will generally, you know, like, or a reminder even. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, people just get busy and they forget. And it's, like, not usually their priority. Yeah. So you got to you gotta follow up sometimes. Um, follow up. Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms of, like, more, more generally, for people who want to study abroad like you have or just travel more, do you have any general tips or advice or like pertinent takeaways you think you'd like to share? Especially in terms of being away for so long and going to so many places. I mean, you know, um, I don't know, yeah. just off the top of your head. Is there anything in general that comes to mind that you'd like to share regarding studying abroad or just traveling internationally more generally? Oh, um, I think in preparation to be able to fit in more programs into your like educational journey. Mm. One thing is to 
plan as meticulously as you can, like do as much research as you can, but also be really flexible because things will change in the moment. And there's some things you just can't plan for, but like try to do as much as you can Uh uh, beforehand and as early as you can, because that typically allows you more, more flexibility if you do it more in advance. Um, And I was honestly talking to so many different counselors because I was a double major too. Uh So I was talking to like my general advisor, then I was talking to both of my major advisors and um, it takes a lot of work, but it's so worth it, you know, because, you know, my programs really changed my life and yeah, definitely do as much as you can before. Um, Talk to as many people as you can. And then... I guess while you're studying abroad, um, I always encourage folks to learn the language beforehand if you can, um, as much as possible. Like I took a semester or so of Thai before I went to Thailand and that really changed what I, what I was able to engage with Mm. while I was in Thailand, you know, and similarly for Senegal and in Paris, um, being able to speak the language or a language that is spoken there really drastically changes how much you can engage with folks there and um, participate in things like internships or um, even like on a daily basis being able to tell the the coffee cart person that I wanted less sugar in my <laughs> Thai tea. What's really important, you know? Um, yeah, so if you can, yeah. learn the language. Um, learn what you can about the culture before you go. I took a Southeast Asian politics class before I went to Southeast Asia, and that, mm-hmm. like, gave me a lot of framework for understanding things. Like, a lot of the things I learned about Singapore, for example, like how um, strict they are, I learned in my politics class. Yeah, and... Don't disregard politics in each country as well. Try to learn as much as you can because that that gives you a lot of context for understanding their ways of life and like and why um, things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know. Sometimes when you're in a new place, you just learn to not question it. But if you know more, then you kind of don't have to question it, um, mm-hmm. which I, I find see. to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All of that is very insightful. So thank you for sharing that. I only have two more questions for you. First off, we we talked previously about like your desire to go to return to places that you've studied abroad in. But, you know, looking to the future, is there anywhere mm-hmm. else that you have in mind that you'd like to go to? Maybe Kenya, finally, since you didn't get to go <laughs> the, the first time. <laughs> No, I feel like I need to relearn Swahili again. <laughs> um, I would definitely love to go to East Asia, or sorry, East um, East Africa, like Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, um, places that speak Swahili. Oh, I've also really wanted to go to Northern Africa, um, like Morocco and areas like that. Mm. I spent a little bit of time in turkey and that's like one of the most beautiful places i've been i think yeah it's just like there's a glow about the city Mm. in istanbul um 
But honestly, I, I just love traveling and learning. So I would love to, I would love to go anywhere, especially pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like tired of this country. I'm tired of this place. <laughs> Aren't you tired of this country? I'm so tired of this I, country. No, I, I am feel fatigued. You. I'm right there with you. <laughs> oh, right every day I text you. my friends like, "Can we not? I I just cannot stand it here sometimes." Mm. <sighs> you know that I think there's a I think about the privilege of being here too, and mm-hmm. you know, like my parents sacrificed a lot so that I could have opportunities like getting a PhD but you know dang I don't know if they knew how messed up this country was right <laughs> gosh yeah. um but yeah also in terms of travel I'm a little concerned about um now I'm like kind of a lot concerned about going to places that are not Asian because there's just like a lot of I don't know what I call it, like, aggravation towards Asians right now oh, because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. And Dang. it doesn't feel safe. Um, that's awful. I know. It's, it's it's hard because I think that's, like, a narrative for a lot of folks in traveling in general. Like, when I was working on a study abroad program at my high school that I was teaching at, we had to, like, really consider what are safe places for black students to go or like Mm -hmm. I I know that this is like how I'm feeling this moment is is very much like linked to the pandemic Mm -hmm. I I would say that like sticking out has always felt felt dangerous as a woman but um yeah yeah there's just a lot of layers and I wish it was I wish it was different (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I do too. I totally feel where you're coming from. And yeah, those are always considerations like black people concerned about, you know, where's it good for me to go as a black person? Where, where will I be safe? Or, you know, where, where's the least racist place I could go? I'm just trying to have a good time, <laughs> right. you know, uh, right. or even with women. A lot of women have trepidation about traveling alone. Where's the safest place to go for women solo travel, travelers? So it's like, it shouldn't have to be that way, but a lot of times people, especially if they're a minority of some sort, marginalized person of some sort, that's like a first thought for many people. It's like, okay, where can I go where I'll be okay? And I I won't Mm -hmm. have to worry about as much, you know? So uh, Mm -hmm. it's a very common thing, although it shouldn't be so common. And I'm sorry you have to think about those concerns, especially now with the pandemic and the anti-Asian sentiment and everything. But, um, uh, you know, I hope that one day... You will be able to get out there again. I hope that everybody who's mm-hmm. <laughs> sick of being stuck here can get back out there again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I feel you. <laughs> so, uh, in due time, hopefully. Okay, my last question for you is, where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Oh, um... Feel free to reach out on Insta. It's Wendy with two Y's and then my last name, C-H-E-U-N-G. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you could also find me on F- Facebook, too, under the same name. But, yeah, I'm. if anyone ever wants to talk about study abroad, how to afford it, how to, like, choose which program, how to make it match your major – 
I am always happy to talk and would especially love to help students who didn't think it would be possible to make it possible, you know, like Mm -hmm. transfer students or um, students who just, or if you're pre-med, a lot of pre-med students feel like they don't have enough time or, you know. I like first-gen students too, yeah. Yeah, 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 first-gen students for sure. Yeah, would always be happy to talk. Wonderful, wonderful. So Facebook and Instagram, people can reach you there. You've been very forthcoming. I appreciate that. Um, thank you again for for speaking with me today. I know it's so funny. I think I reached out to you back in like January, and now we're finally getting being able to talk. <laughs> yeah. like, can you believe it's almost May? It's, it's I can't. wild to me. I can't. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to you. The show had really good things to say. So, um, you know, I was looking forward to this, and um, I'm glad that. I was able to learn so much from you and get to hear a bit about your story and all the things you've done and all the amazing things you're up to out here, becoming a doctor and trying to save the world. Um, <laughs> let me not put that on you. I know I'm you're not trying. trying to save the world. But <laughs> I really am trying. I say, I say that pretty frequently. <laughs> oh but doing your part at least, even if you can't, you know, uh, be the one to actually save the world all on your own. You're certainly trying to do your part, and I think that's wonderful. So, okay, thank you too. I mean, this <laughs> podcast is really powerful, and I I think the work that you're trying to do is really powerful. Oh, so thank you as well. Yeah, you're thank welcome. You. I appreciate that, Wendy. That means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you, and I hope. Oh, it's late for me. It's not that late for you. So yeah, we're fine. I was about to say, I hope I didn't have you too late, but um, oh, I forgot no. about the time. I'm distance. sorry that it's late for you. Oh no, it's okay. It's not that late. I like I've 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 gone later. Usually, I'm kind of like a grandma in training, so I might have like started winding down for the night already by now. But I certainly would not be like asleep or anything. So this is perfectly fine. Yeah, but anyway, thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. I really enjoyed this. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this as well, and uh, I will be in touch, okay? Okay. Sounds wonderful. Thank you again. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. All right? Talk to you later, Wendy. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Wendy for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, uh, once again, that interview has not been recorded yet. (laughs) But provided that all goes well, The guest of that episode will be someone who studied in the Netherlands. 
So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.